about your psalms, talk about John 3.16. Austin 3.16 says I just whipped your ass. You can call this the new world order of wrestling, brother. Hi everyone, this is Neil Pruitt from Neil Pruitt's Secrets of WCW Nitro. You may have heard this voice before, the New World Order. I was the producer and the voice for the New World Order. You're listening to the Wrestling Basement Podcast. This podcast has not been sanctioned by the New World Order. Hey everyone, this is Guy Evans, author of Nitro, The Incredible Rise and Inevitable Collapse of Ted Turner's WCW, and you are listening to the Wrestling Basement Podcast. Brand new Wrestling Basement Podcast, Graham Matthews, Bleacher Report, Fan Sighted, Daily DDT, my man, how you doing? Happy to be back, Randy. Doing great. How about yourself? Doing good, man. Can't complain. Uh, I got you on for uh, a very special show. Before we continue, you can find Graham on Twitter at Russell Rant. You can find me at Randy J. Cruz, R-E-N-D-Y, the letter J-C-R-U-Z. You can find the Wrestling Basement Podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, and iTunes. Show us some love and support for the, for the podcast. Um, so we are embarking on the 24th anniversary of the 1996 king of the ring so you know why is that very special because that's where we saw the birth of, of uh, stone cold steve austin austin 316 uh the biggest probably the biggest catchphrase in wrestling history possibly the greatest t-shirt ever made in wrestling history aside from the nwo and stuff like that but um just a a, a cool time to be a fan of the sport you have that going on. You have Nitro. You got the Monday Night War going on just right before everything really kicked off two years later. So uh, before we go further, Graham, when was the last time you saw King of the Ring 96? What do you recall from it? And why is it so memorable? Maybe not the entire card, but, you know, just the speech by itself. I know we'll go into detail later, but um, what is it about that that night that makes it memorable that me and you are here talking about it 24 years later. I mean, obviously not just the tournament itself, but also the finals of uh, Steve Austin versus Jake Roberts and not just the match itself, not being an instant classic by any means, but the fact that Stone Cold Steve Austin won and not only won the entire thing, went on to cut one of the most iconic promos in professional wrestling history, kicking off what would become this amazing run that Stone Cold would have up until you know, a one oh two oh three up until he retired practically. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the show itself was fine. I would say, I mean, some of the King of the Ring shows are 
kind of underrated. The King of the Ring 93 show, in my opinion, might be the best they ever done. Um, hmm. And that was, I think the anniversary of that was just recently as well when Bret Hart won three matches in a row on the same show, had right. a great match with Mr. Perfect, I think in either the first round or the second round. And uh, that's regarded as one of his best matches ever as well. Um, the 96 show overall wasn't, you know, it wasn't great. It's not a show that I would say that you should go out of your way to watch personally. Um, but, you know, the, the tournament matches are fine. The finals aren't anything really worth watching. I mean, it's a five-minute match between Jake Roberts and Stone Cold. And Jake Roberts is well out of his prime at this point, well past his prime. But you do have a great main event of Shawn Michaels and British Bulldog for the WWF Championship, which was a great match. I haven't seen the show in some time to answer your question. It's been a couple of years. Uh -huh. But uh, though I did recently rewatch the... In Your House show that preceded this, the Beware of Dog show, ah. which actually happened a month before, because um, I know the 24-year anniversary, 24 year anniversary of that was recently as well, mm. and the In Your House NXT show was recently, so I watched that show. And Michaels and Bulldog had a great match on that show, too, yeah. albeit you know ended in a draw. But um, yeah, so a good show. You also have Taker and Mankind, not their best match, not as good as their King of the Ring 98 match, obviously, the Hell in the Cell match, mm -hmm. but it was good. You had Warriors' last pay-per-view appearance ever, aside from WrestleMania 30, of course. So, um, yeah, pretty pretty good show, I would say. Not not a terrible show. It's, it's all right. It's not a show I would say you should absolutely go out of your way to watch, but for the historical significance alone of Steve Austin winning the whole thing and cutting that promo afterwards – it's worth watching for that alone, I would say. So I know you mentioned uh, In Your House, Beware of Dog. Um, I have not seen that in quite some time, but I do recall the, the strap match with uh, Savio Vega with Stone Cold and how that, that pay-per-view was taped twice, you know, with the whole blackout, the rain out they had on the, on the initial day. And then they, they, they went back to it to, to finish it up, which is a very interesting show for those who haven't seen it. Uh, In Your House, Beware of Dog. Uh, May of 96 so uh, before we get into the rise of Stone Cold at this pay-per-view you know let's quickly touch up on how he was the ringmaster when he first came in so most fans of the younger audience may just know Stone Cold as Stone Cold but may not know him as the ringmaster so he comes in in 1996 uh, fired by WCW he had a short stint in ECW I'm not even sure he wrestled I think he did a, a, a bunch of promos um airing out his anger at bischoff wcw uh making fun of hulk hogan and paul Heyman really gave him that that platform to just to, to, to just really air out his frustration so when stone cold first of all um the ringmaster gimmick i know we can go back at it uh 20 plus years ago but when, when, when you go back to it I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't a bad gimmick, but I, obviously it's not Stone Cold. But I don't think it was that much of a bad gimmick. Maybe the fact that he had DiBiase as his manager, it was like you know what, let this guy just be on his own, let us do his own thing. Uh, I think a very very underrated wrestler back then, Stone Cold was, who you know later became a, a, a brawler. But um, mm -hmm. real quick, so what was your take on the ringmaster gimmick for Stone Cold when he first got in? Not great. Um, not a great gimmick. Um, it, it got him off to a decent start. And you are right, though. I will agree on the underratedness of Stone Cold's in-ring repertoire at that point. Yeah. The guy was very good. He was no Bret Hart. Um, but I think there's kind of two tales of Austin's career from pre-neck injury 
and post neck injury in 97. Mm. Um, before the neck injury, he had some bangers with, again, uh, a few different people. Savio Vega, that match is a very underrated. Having re recently rewatched it recently mm. at the In Your House Beware of Dog Show, very good match. And the Bret Hart matches are awesome too. Um, that might be his best match ever with Bret Hart at the WrestleMania 13 show, one of the best WrestleMania matches ever. I know you've said that as well. Right. But um, yeah. Very good in the ring. I'm trying to think of the matches on this show. Again, the, the Roberts match was really nothing of note at all. Um, though he did face Mark Merrow in the semifinals earlier on in the evening. I don't really remember how good of a match that was. They got a ton mm. of time looking at it right now. Almost 17 minutes. I'd have to go back and watch it. But uh, the ringmaster gimmick, not great. Um, Ted DiBiase, the guy's a great talker. But the thing is, as seen at the end of this tournament on this show, the guy didn't need a mouthpiece. Stone Cold did not need a mouthpiece. That that was a very puzzling decision. And then DiBiase left for WCW soon after. Um, yeah, the ringmaster gimmick sucked. Thankfully, they scrapped it relatively quickly. It's not a gimmick that he had for like three or four years. It was just shy of a year. And then he uh, was uh, off to the races once he won the King of the Ring on this show and kind of became the Stone Cold that we know and love today. Right. I know when he first got in there, to be, to be honest, I, I did not know of Steve Austin um, in ECW, WCW, um, I didn't really watch WCW until the whole NWO thing came into play. I might have seen it here and there, but you know the Hollywood Blondes with him and Pillman, I did not know about that. Him and um, you know being U.S. champion, all that, I did not know about that. So when he first got in there, it's it's, it's my first look at, at at this guy Steve Austin. He comes in with DiBiase, and I'm thinking, okay, cool. You know, DiBiase was always a bad guy, so he'll give the rub to Stone Cold or to Steve Austin at at, at the time. And you know, seeing him at WrestleMania 12 against Savio Vega, uh, and then plus you got to also understand the 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 dynamic he, he's coming into. So Sean is, no, Brett was a champion. You know, there's Shawn Michaels there. There's Diesel, Razor Ramon, Yokozuna, uh, Hunter's there, Warriors there. Um, the 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 Rock did not debut yet when Stone Cold got there. So it, it's a little um, up in the air as far as who was the the, the crown jewels of, of of the roster. So he's in there with guys uh, of mid card status with Savio Vega. And I mean, I, I like Savio, but he wasn't like you know the main eventer that. You know, he probably thought he would have been. And then he goes to In Your House, the the Beware of Dog strap matches, and he's still in this mid-car status. So when he gets to the King of the Ring, um, it's like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop there because what people need to understand and know that this whole King of the Ring stuff does not happen without the curtain call. And for those who mm -hmm. don't know that, the curtain call was when... Um, it was like late May of 96 where it was Diesel and Razor's first, um, final appearance for the company. And Diesel for Sean, Razor for Hunter. Long story short, they come out at the end after the steel cage match. They all hug it out and, you know, and the fans are going crazy. And it's one guy in, in, in the crowd who's videotaping this whole thing that's still used today and kind of shows that they broke kayfabe. But the, the behind the story is that... Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Triple H was scheduled to win the King of the Ring the following month. And, mm -hmm. you know, Diesel leaves, Razor leaves, Sean is a champion. So McMahon is like, after getting pushback, he's the one that kind of said, go ahead and do it. He got pushback for it. So he had to punish somebody. And that somebody was Triple H. And Triple H had a whole bunch of jobber matches from that point on uh, for a few months after that. 
he gets taken out of the King of the Ring uh, winner spot, and then you plug in Stone Cold Steve Austin. So, Graham, just imagine that the current call never happened. Hunter is the the winner of, of, of the King of the Ring in 96. There's no Stone Cold Steve Austin. There's no speech. There's no Austin 316. Can you imagine a world of wrestling without that even happening? I mean, it's tough to imagine because I know, tr- obviously, Triple H went on to win King of the Ring the following year. Right. And that was when he started to show signs of real potential. The matches with Mankind really kind of stand out to me from that summer of 97. With Austin, I'm trying to think, how did he not cut the promo on the show? Because obviously, he won the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't the fact that, okay, he's the King of the Ring. He's the next world champion. Right. In my opinion, I mean, I'm, I'm sure this is what many people would agree on, including yourself, Randy, that it wasn't the tournament that really boosted him to the next level. It was the fact that he cut that promo. Had he lost and cut that same promo, he probably would have been just fine as well. But I'm trying to think, because I obviously wasn't watching back then, whether officials saw something in Stone Cold, you know, even before. I mean, I I guess they saw something enough in him to have him win the entire tournament. Mm -hmm. But, like, again, he was feuding with Savio Vega. So had he not won the tournament, um, had the Triple H thing not happened, would they still have pushed him at some point? That's my question. I think so. Probably just because I think Beware of Dog happened after the curtain call. I'm pretty sure. Um, I think so, so they had too. Him, I th- yeah, well, he lost the match, uh, Stone Cold did, but that was done on purpose to make him drop DiBiase as his manager. Mm-hmm. So, again, I'm not really sure. I think they probably would have still done something with Stone Cold. Because you got you got to remember, too, Randy, the funny thing that you, you got to remember is that because he won this tournament, it's not like they had long-term plans for Stone Cold to go on to face Michaels for the championship later that year. And Michaels faced a variety of opponents back in 96. He had a great run, including British Bulldog on the show, a great run of awesome title matches on pay-per-view with everyone from Bulldog to Mankind to Diesel to Vader to Psycho Sid to Bret Hart, obviously WrestleMania. He had some bangers that year as WWE champion. Um, And with Austin... You can kind of tell it was a last-minute decision to have Austin win the tournament because they had nothing for the guy, it felt like, for the remainder of the summer. He was in the fucking pre-show against Yokozuna at SummerSlam that year, the the uh, free-for-all show or whatever they called it. Mm-hmm. So clearly, it's not like they were building him up for a big feud on the show. It really wasn't until the Bret Hart feud later on that year at Survivor Series, uh, you know, when, when Bret Hart came back to the company, that they started pushing him towards a top spot on the roster and even those matches he didn't win he didn't win at survivor series he didn't win the did he win the royal rumble he did but then he had the the title shot taken away Mm -hmm. um and then he didn't win at wrestlemania so they weren't really pushing him as aggressively as they would a few years later but yeah it's it's very odd to think about what would have happened had he not won here he probably still would have done the same things they had no plans for him either way triple h was really the one who suffered because he did nothing for the remainder of 96 until winning the King of the Ring in early 97. Yeah, I'm looking at the the, the following shows. So the, the, the following pay-per-view they had at the King of the Ring was uh, In Your House, International Incident. Stone Cold defeated Mark Merrow. And then you mentioned he had a pre-show against Yokozuna in like a minute and a half. And then that's where they, they, they flipped the switch of like, all right, we're going to have him tease this Bret Hart comeback and you know from September on I think you fought um am I wrong I think you fought Triple H in October I think it was buried alive if I'm not mistaken because I know mind games 
He was not on the show at Mind Games. Then you get to Buried Alive. And then he beat Hunter. Then he goes on to get bread and all the, all, all the other shit. So um, mm-hmm. it's weird because, you know, you think, you know, the King of the Ring. I, I know the King of the Ring meant a lot back then to the superstars where, you know, whoever they were looking to kind of bulk up, they use a King of the Ring as that springboard. But the question I still have, that I, it's funny, me and you may not even know the answer, but it's like, what made, when they said no to Triple H, what made them say, all right, Stone Cold is the guy we're going to make the king of the ring? Because you, you, know, you still got Mankind there, Undertaker, some other guys who might have won, and, and I don't know what they would have done afterwards, but I'm trying to figure out, or maybe you can kind of guess, what made them pick Stone Cold as the next guy behind Hunter to win that king of the ring? Well, yeah, again, you mentioned earlier the roster. Uh, looking at the roster, thinking about the roster back then, who else really would have made sense aside for maybe a Vader um, who went on to face Shawn Michaels at SummerSlam? Maybe Vader probably would have made more sense considering they had plans for him anyway. Uh, Mankind, no. Um, that one really made much sense. He was feeding with Taker regardless. Obviously not Warrior. Uh, they didn't really have a very deep roster. Mero, maybe, but they were clearly on a... They were clearly in a place with Mara where they saw potential in him, but not enough to give him the King of the Ring tournament win. So I mean, I'm not really sure. Shawn Michaels was already WWE champion. Um, Bulldog mm-hmm. was already going for the WWE title. Maybe Bulldog, maybe, but he was clearly just a kind of a filler challenger right. for Michaels. No long-term plans there. Bret Hart was gone, and he, he, I mean, even he won the tournament twice, you know, two years in a row anyway, I think. I think it was 92 and 93 that he won, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Um, anyway, though, so yeah, I think it was kind of just process of elimination, not gold dust. That one really made much sense. <laughs> so, you know, I, I mean, maybe I mean, Savio Vega, eh, not really. So no, Stone Cold probably just made more sense than anyone else in the roster at that time. What about, uh, <laughs> what about Diesel uh, left? Diesel you know, Scott left. Hall left. Um, Ahmed Johnson, they had on the roster, they had, uh, the guy yeah, maybe Ahmed. They were pushing him, so maybe. Uh, the 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 smoking guns, the body donnas, nah. See, no, um, God, no, God, no. <laughs> Vader, oh, you know, okay. Actually, um, I was gonna say Owen Hart, but he wasn't. You know, he already won it he a couple won, of years yeah. earlier, and there was they weren't really doing much with him at that point. I'm trying to see who was who was here, man. Um, yeah, that 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 ninety six uh, roster man was uh, a little shaky. <laughs> from what I see right now, a little shaky, huh? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Vader was in the semifinals, and he lost to Roberts by DQ. Uh-huh. So if you have Mero beat Stone Cold, I mean, I'm glad, obviously, Stone Cold won for historical purposes, but if you have Mero beat Stone Cold, and then you have Vader squash Roberts, you could have done Vader and Mero in the finals, and Vader win the whole thing. So I think that would have just, in retrospect, again, Austin was one, it is one of the greatest of all time. <clears throat> and I'm glad he won it. But mm-hmm. in retrospect, Vader probably would have made more sense because you like you know how like Brock Lesnar would win it in 02? And yeah. he went on to face Rock for the title at SummerSlam. You mm-hmm. could have done the same thing, have him win here, and then go on to face Shawn Michaels at SummerSlam. That probably would have made more sense than what they did here, which, uh, I don't know, again, Austin won. But why? Like, the Bret Hart feud didn't happen until five months later. So a little bizarre. I mean, uh, hey, we got a great promo out of it. But in retrospect, if I'm them in '96, I probably would have had Vader win. So overall, I think we, I, I think we can thank the the curtain call for happening, huh? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, it 
it turned out to be a major positive, at least for uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. He has them to thank. And that King in the Ring, real quick, uh, overall, the, all the matches, you had Ahmed Johnson, Vader, Goldust, Warrior, um, uh, Triple H, Jake Roberts, Justin Bradshaw, Henry Godwin, Stone Cold, Bob Holly, Marty Jannetty, Savio Vega, Mark Merrow, Skip, Owen Hart, and Yokozuna. That was your 1996 King of the Ring uh, everything, first round. Wow. Yeah, kind of slim pickings there. I mean, I know there's a few stars here and there. They had Goldust. They had Warrior in the fucking thing, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. Wow. And uh, he was, thank God they didn't have him go all the way. He was gone like a week later. Mm -hmm. um, he no-showed, and then they like fired him or he quit or whatever. Um, his last match, I, I watched the back the other day. His final WWE match was against Owen Hart on Raw, and he won by like DQ or some shit. But uh, yeah, when you have Henry O. Godwin and Skip yeah. and, the, yeah, and the King of the Ring, Albeit in the first round, Justin Bradshaw, who was doing nothing at that point, then you know it's not really, you know, it's not really star-studded as much as like even last year's. I thought last year's King of the Ring. I know we're fast-forwarding over twenty years, but you know, last year's King of the Ring had a lot of great wrestlers in it. Um, you know, a lot of other the a lot of the other tournaments had great you know people in it as well. The roster in '96, they had a few stars here and there, mm. but not as star-studded as you would probably think. I'm, I mean, this isn't the worst bracket I've ever seen, but it also <laughs> wasn't too great either. Uh, I know this month is pretty much like the the month for King of the Ring stuff. So uh, King of the Ring used to happen every you know every June. Uh, we'll probably do one or two more of these um, later on, but just overall from overall perspective, because we don't we don't get the King of the Ring. Nowadays, as, as how it was back then, you know, its own show and stuff like that. But how big of a deal was the King of the Ring to superstars back then who were looking for a push, who want to get the limelight? How big? How big was the tournament for these guys? It was huge. I think the King of the Ring was really like a second Royal Rumble, albeit in a different format back then. Uh, I mean, the Rumble was for a title shot by '96. The King of the Ring was not. It was for a dumb cape and crown. But at the same time, though, not everyone was doing that. Certainly not Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, Owen Hart took the gimmick and ran with it. Back in 94, he had a great run as the King of Hearts did Owen. Um, Bret Hart won it. Harley Race was the initial winner in WWE. Mm -hmm. They had King, uh, a fake King Haku there for a while in the late <laughs> 80s, among other people. So um, it, it was really big. It obviously launched the career of Stone Cold indirectly because it wasn't because of the King of the Ring that he became WWE champion. But he went on to become a very big deal. Um, 97 won by Triple H, obviously. 2002 won by Brock Lesnar going on to win the championship two months later. Um, you know, again, not everyone did it launch their careers. Mm. I think Ken Shamrock won it one year. When didn't really do much. Uh, I think back in 97, Billy Gunn, prime example. What a fucking waste that was. Um, so, I, I, it, you know, it had its years where it was really important, where it was really well done. There were years where, even more so than the fact that the person won it, the matches themselves were great. Again, Bret Hart, like I said earlier, had a run in 93 that was like on the level of anyone else. Like some great matches with, I think, Bam Bam Bigelow, Mr. Perfect, among others, mm -hmm. they did a great job with that. So, and he really came across looking like a star coming out of the uh, the '93 uh, King of the Ring tournament. So, um, yeah, it, it meant a lot to win the King of the Ring back then. wasn't the didn't mean as much as winning the Rumble, but it meant far more then than it does today because it kind of meant that the company was hopefully you know eyeing a future push for you, even though Stone Cold kind of 
locked into it because of the Triple H thing and the curtain call. So, um, but it was prestigious and it did lead to the careers, uh, the, uh, the careers of Stone Cold, Brock, Triple H, among others, really taking off from that point forward. So when you mention Stone Cold and, and Brock and Hunter and Edge and all these guys who who own hard Brett. All the guys who won the King of the Ring tournament, would you say that the 1996 King of the Ring with Stone Cold is the one King of the Ring um, winner that really benefited from winning the whole thing? From really benefited from winning it? Yeah, like is Stone Cold is Stone Cold the does Stone Cold benefit the most from winning the King of the Ring out of all the King of the Ring winners? Is he is he the 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 the, the number one guy? to benefit the most from winning the king of the ring i'm gonna say no just because it wasn't an immediate push after he won it's not like he won and then he like again like brock won the title two months later i would say if anything triple h benefited from winning it more um just because there was an immediate push there he had that great feud with mankind he was intercontinental champion soon after he was wwe champion a year or two after and he won, you know, formed DX in 98. That was really a turning point in his career. Debuted China as his heavy around that time. Uh, Stone Cold, it was more of a gradual push after he won King of the Ring because they weren't really planning on having him win. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, again, it wasn't really the, t- the the King of the Ring win that he benefited from as much as he did the promo that pr- that, that preceded it um, about Austin 316 and whatever else. So, um, yeah, so I, I would say he's not the biggest benefactor. I would say probably Triple H. Kurt Angle is another one in 2000 um, who really took off after he won King of the Ring. I mean, he was already on the ascent anyway, but it helped. And I think he won the championship a couple months later, too. So I would say probably Kurt Angle, um, Kurt Angle, Brock, or Triple H, I would say benefited more from winning that tournament than Stone Cold did in 96. I know we, uh, we touched up on the ringmaster earlier, so I know before that um, he was in ECW for a hot minute. He was in WCW. Um, in your research in, uh, years later, did did you ever get a chance to see, going back, to see Stone Cold before he got into WWF? Yeah, I mean, I've seen some of his work in WCW, ECW. The funny thing is that you can kind of see some semblance of the Stone Cold character in ECW, and that was because he got fired via FedEx from Eric Bischoff and WC, from WCW. Um, so had Bischoff not done that, who knows where he would be today? Would he be a glorified tag team guy with Brian Pillman, the Hollywood blondes? I mean, who knows? Mm. Um, I doubt he would have ever been the same Stone Cold that we got in 97 in WWE. I highly doubt we would have ever gotten that in WWE in WCW, maybe in ECW had he stuck around for a little longer, but it was because of his dismissal and the way that it happened from WCW that really paved the way and brought out the best in Steve Austin and ECW and then later on in WWE. Are you more of a fan of the Stone Cold, the uh, the Matt Technician kind of wrestler, or the the brawler that he will, he will become later on? That's a good question because again, it's kind of a tale of two careers where he had some really good matches in '96 with Bret Hart, and again in '97 with Bret Hart, um, Shawn Michaels as well. Which I think I think their King of the Ring match is better than the WrestleMania match. I think it's King of the Ring '90. 97, if I'm not mistaken, right. that they had their match. Mm-hmm. And then they had a rematch at WrestleMania. I think the King of the Ring match is better, personally. Um, after the injury, the Michaels match wasn't great. It was a good match. 
and he won. He had won his first championship, but it wasn't like an all-star, all-time classic. Mm-hmm. And the Rock matches are very good. Those are great matches. Um, I don't know. I think of the two, people will remember more of the character of Stone Cold from post-97. Me personally, I don't know. I would say probably post-injury. I would probably say more of the brawler just because the moments that he provided and the promos he provided more so than the matches he had with Brett. Mm-hmm. Although it really is close because the matches with Brett were great. And some of the matches he was having back in 96 and 97 were great, too. But they were short-lived. So I'd probably say more brawler Austin because we got more of that Austin than we did the Matt Technician Austin from 96, 97. I think um, I think if he does not get hurt at SummerSlam 97, that the Matt Technician Stone Cold would still be going on as opposed to the brawler because I think that kind of changed his whole dynamic where it's like, all right, I got, I, he got the neck injury, so that kind of forced him to become a, to become a, 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 a brawler type of guy. So I kind of missed the, the math technician, you know, when, when they show Survivor Series 96 on FS1, and I'm like, wow, like I'm seeing him and, uh, him and Brett go at it. It's like like real fucking wrestling match with Stone Cold. Like no just coming in, hitting, Luthez press, and Stone Cold stutter, and, and I'm out. It was a really 20, 25-minute match. And I'm like, holy shit, I kind of missed that Stone Cold, but I, I understand why he became, why he changed the style because he got hurt uh, with uh, Owen Hart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he kind of had a, it was one of those force changes. So and it was one of those things. I don't want to say it happened for the better. Like, oh, I'm so happy he got hurt. Like, obviously not. Yeah. But um, he, the thing is with Austin, it makes it that much more impressive that he took the injury and then he made the most of it and adapted to that new character. Like, no one was complaining. I mean, I don't know. I wasn't around back then, but it didn't seem like many people were complaining in the Attitude Era. Oh, man, Austin can't work a five-star Matt Classic. He's such a, you know, who gives a shit? He made up for it in other ways with his promos, presence, um, you know, the brawling and everything else. And those rock matches were still great. They're still regarded as some of the greatest matches, WrestleMania matches of all time. Um, I had a chance to watch. uh, I'm kind of in the process of watching old pay-per-views right now. So last week I watched Backlash '99 back. Okay. And I think it's it's not a very it's not a very unpopular opinion, but I think Rock and Austin had a better match on that show than they did at WrestleMania 15, and that's a prime example, dude, of how it doesn't have to be bell to bell a great wrestling match in order to be that good. I mean, again, if you do too much of one thing, it can get old. But that Austin Rock match was a glorified brawl, and it was fucking great. It was very good, mm-hmm. and Rock can go with the best of them. So he's another example of a guy that, um, you know, kind of adapted to whoever he was working with. And Austin, same thing. So uh, yeah, again, it, it is kind of weird to see the tale of two careers between '99 and '96 from Survivor Series having a great wrestling match with Bret Hart, and then having a glorified brawl with The Rock. But they were great for different reasons. So uh, I think Austin should be commended for really making the most of whatever situation he found himself in at whatever point in his career that was. So at the same time, the uh, King of the Rings going on. On the flip side, you have Nitro and WCW. You got NWO running rampant, and uh, more more people are watching that product than than Raw and everything. So, uh, do you feel with what WCW had going on? Did you feel like Stone Cold Steve Austin came just at the right time for the company? He did. Um, they needed new stars. Again, they weren't completely depleted at that point. 
They had, you know, uh, Triple H was coming up at that point as well. Mm-hmm. Shawn Michaels was still there. They still had, and they were building up Mankind, uh, which was kind of a coincidence. I don't think Mankind was ever really supposed to be, as far as I know, more than just a guy for Taker to beat. But he got over and did so well that he ended up sticking around as a future WWE champion, you know, mm-hmm. so. And they had Mankind. They had a few other pet projects. The Rock came around in 96. Um, it was really 95 and 94 that they were really struggling. Like after, you know, Hogan left, uh, Ric Flair was gone after the year stint that he was there for. Right. And they put the they put the belt on fucking Diesel for a year. Like that was when they were really struggling. They weren't really focusing on Bret Hart as much. Shawn Michaels wasn't a top guy yet. Um, they did, and you know, you know, Bret Hart was still had a title reign in ninety four, ninety three, whatever. Um, but he wasn't the guy that he was in ninety six, ninety seven. So you know, I think not just Stone Cold, but really Rock. Triple H, Mankind, all came up at the perfect time. In addition to the established acts, they still had people like The Undertaker and Kane, who came in in 97, too. Um, I guess he wasn't really established by that point, but you know what I mean? Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, it really turned into one of the greatest rosters of all time by the late 90s. I want I want to rewind real quick. Uh, you, you know, I, I felt some anger when you mentioned Diesel. <laughs> you said, you know, put the fucking belt on Diesel. Like you were, uh, like you weren't a fan, or you go back at it and like, why they did that? Why, why the the, the change in the voice when you mentioned Diesel? So it's because it's not that Diesel is bad. He did have a, his fair share of good matches in WWE with Bret Hart, one of his best matches ever at Survivor Series. I want to say I think they had a they had matches in '94 and '95. If I'm not mistaken. Uh, 90, um, 95, 95. Okay, I thought it was back-to-back years. Maybe it was just 95. But either way, it was whatever match I'm thinking of, it was really good. And then the match he had with Michaels when he left, great way to go out in your house. Um, good friends, better enemies, awesome match. Even the Taker match was pretty good at WrestleMania 12. Um, the thing is, is that Kevin Nash, Diesel, was a prime example of a guy that Vince saw, he had the look, he had the size, he's the guy that could run this company. But it just wasn't working. The matches sucked, business was at an all-time low. It was one of those things where the fans weren't like they are today, like they were booing the shit out of him or whatever, I'm sure he was over. But just from a business standpoint and from a creative standpoint, the fact that we got Diesel and fucking Viscera, um, Mabel, for the King Mabel, again, a King of the Ring winner that went absolutely nowhere King for the Mabel. title at, I think, SummerSlam really goes to show that they had no idea what the hell they were doing with Diesel. He had no business. Maybe being champion for a little while, you know, the way that he beat um, the way that he beat Backland, I will say this, the way that he beat Backland was cool at MSG very quickly, got him over, crowd mm. went nuts. I will say, I think he probably should have dropped the belt at... Um, at WrestleMania to Sean. I don't know if Sean was ready at that point, like from a personal standpoint, mm. but Sean losing was kind of questionable when, when Diesel went on to do absolutely nothing with that belt until Survivor Series time. But the match that I'm thinking of, I think it was the Rumble. I think Bret Hart and Diesel had a first match of the Rumble. They had like a fuck finish, and then they had another match in, at Survivor Series that Bret won. Um, but anyway, though, so... Yeah, it just, it just wasn't a good reign. Uh-huh. They were lacking star power at that point. That was pre-Triple H, pre-Steve Austin, pre-Rock. Um, Bret Hart should have been champion longer than he was. And Yokozuna didn't really... Again, Yokozuna, another prime example of a guy that just it wasn't really working. He had a lot of bad matches. Mm-hmm. They kept the belt on him for nine months because they had an end game in mind with Bret Hart. Yokozuna, for all intents and purposes, should have lost the belt to Lex Luger 
at SummerSlam for how over Luger was. Not saying that he was yeah. a, a Bret Hart compared to Yokozuna, but right. you know, at least he was over. They got to run with a with a guy that's hot, and they didn't. So I think that's what they did with Diesel. Not that he really cost anyone any pushes at that point. I can't think of many people that were hotter than Diesel that should have been champion in 95. The product was just all around bad at that point. Uh-huh. But um, he should not have been champion for over a year. That's my opinion. So <clears throat> Stone Cold, King of the Ring, he beats Mark Merrill. Mark Merrill gives him the, this cut on, on his uh, chin, his lip. And then Stone Cold has to leave, go to the hospital, get uh, the stitches, come back. Uh, he beats Jake, and then we all know, you know, what happens after with the the speech. And uh, I, I read somewhere that you know the whole thing that Jake was the gimmick was a, a, a born again Christian, and I think Jake, I, I could be wrong. I think Jake cut a promo about the whole born again stuff and um, Stone Cold when he went to the the, the podium with uh, Doc Hendricks. It just came natural. Like he didn't, he didn't, he didn't write shit down. No one told him to to say this. It kind of came mm-hmm. natural, and he said, "You know, Austin three sixteen said, I, I just whipped your ass, and boom." From that point on, Graham, um, you know, me seeing that that live, um, ninety six, that puts me at thirteen years old, and I see this, and the crowd was just going crazy. And then from that point on, it's on t shirts. It's he's Stone Cold. It's mainstream now. People are cheering or slowly start to cheer this guy now. Being a bad guy, he's getting cheers. Um, and then we know the path afterwards with being a tag champion, IC champion, Royal Royal Rumble winner, world champion, so on and so forth. Um, did, did the Austin 316 speech, because there are people who say there are different moments that kind of sparked the attitude era and then I, there is no wrong answer like you know Montreal screw job is an answer or when Brett did cut the promo on Vince in the cage in March of 97 saying you know this is bullshit um, you know Mike Tyson coming into the company there are different parts people say you know this sparked the attitude, uh, the attitude era did you feel like the Austin 316 speech was the you know, cemented beginning or the, the the initial spark of the Attitude Era? No, it's it's very debatable. A lot of people will say, oh, this was what kicked off the Attitude Era. It's not official one way or the other. I mean, if anyone says, oh, this is what kicked off the Attitude Era, you're wrong. It's it, There's no beginning of one era and end of another. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no way to determine that, first of all, in the moment. But even in retrospect, um, there, it's not like, oh, it's, you know, this, this show's over at this, like, I don't know. There's really no way to determine that. It's all very like around this time period. Um, it's not, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, if you think of a reality outside of wrestling, like this era in, in, in the world was over on this day. It's like, no, it's not like, you know, it's, <laughs> it's over around this time period. Right. So kind of the same thing goes for wrestling. I wouldn't say that it started at this point. I would go to 97. Because um, 96 okay. didn't really feel like an attitude era. I mean, maybe the, the, the seeds were planted. I will give you that. Mm-hmm. I would go to 97. I mean, you could say that the Vince McMahon promo, not promo, but that little thing like, oh, our product is passe, blah, 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 which I think yeah. was in December of 97. I would go as early as Bret Hart's promo on Raw when he went off on Vince in America and the fans, whatever, in March of 97. Okay. I would go that far. I I, when I watch WrestleMania 13, I think of the Attitude Era. It may not be the Attitude Era. I consider that personally mm-hmm. an Attitude Era pay-per-view. So 
Wow. I, I wouldn't say that's official. That's merely my opinion. But I would say I would go no earlier than that Bret Hart promo in March of '97 on Raw. I mean, listen, man. I, I can't. I can't disagree with you. Um, I think. I, I guess that. Um, the tone of like the language and the tone of like the, the the stars of like it's not cookie cutter, it's not your um what what they call it these guys who are like you know IRS and dumpster guys and you know occupational guys that's what they call it occupational wrestlers now you're getting real people with you know saying what what the fuck they want to say how they want to say it that Stone Cold speech was not scripted. And it just kind of shows you what the what people can do when they don't have, you know, when they're not handcuffed to talk about what they want to talk about and how they want to do it. And Stone Cold's speech was a prime example of that. And I can't, if you look at it, Doc Hendricks is really shocked about the whole thing too. Like, you know, you you want that. You want that, you know, suspense. Like, holy shit, I, I didn't know he was going to say that. And the crowd felt it. I felt it at home. Nobody knew what Stone Cold was going to say, and that attitude just kept on going, kept on getting bigger, and it was just a big wave, a big craze, Graham, that it's like, that shit was on fire, man. I know he didn't get the the initial push right afterwards, but eventually he, he did get it. But just hearing that and that kind of tone going away from what you know what we had in the golden era and the new generation era, all that stupid shit, it was just a, a, a time where you knew shit was going to change. Now, did it spark the Attitude Era? I would say no, but it, like you said, I think it planted a seed into what was you know to become. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. I, it was a great promo just because you didn't really see much of that at that point. Mm-hmm. That type of aggression and intensity and realism kind of taking shots at Jake Roberts' issues that he was dealing with at that point and everything else. So, um, yeah, again, like you said, I, I like I said as well, kind of planted the seeds for what we would see in future years. Um, it's a great promo, really showed how good Austin was on the stick at that point and what was to come in the years that followed. And um, yeah, again, it really just stood out because we didn't really see much of that at that point. I would mm-hmm. not, it's not the same thing, but CM Punk, very similar situation with the pipe bomb promo. Again, same month, June of, of 2011, mm-hmm. uh, 15 years later, uh, where when he cut that pipe bomb promo, we never saw anyone blur the lines between reality and storyline. He mentioned Ring of Honor, New Japan, Hulk Hogan, The Rock. We watched that in awe because we had never really heard anything like that before. Now we hear promos like that constantly every fucking week in Raw. They say they say bitch in every week. Every promo on Raw this you know nowadays they say bitch all the time. But back then it was it was kind of a big deal because it was around the PG era when it started and again no no real era when it started directly. Like no one you can't really pinpoint one moment when it started aside from when they slapped on the rating on the show. But you didn't really see many people cut promos like that, and that's what I kind of related to. And uh, this was kind of, uh, I don't want to say ahead of its time, it really kind of kicked off a new era in WWE. Not kicked off officially, but planted the seeds, as we said, and kind of gave you a preview of what was to come. And not only his career, but the WWE in the whole. So that's why it really has stood the test of time all these years later. Such a perfectly executed promo. Mm. Uh, one more before I let you go. So you, you just reminded me about that CM Punk thing. So uh, there is a... a, a a show that you know me and you could do on um, the whole Money in the Bank kind of uh, the 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 summer of CM Punk is what it what is what I would call it. So just the pipe bomb, the whole thing with John Cena, Money in the Bank, and that's gonna be a, a different show for a different time, probably later on in July. But the last question I have for you is, um, you know, we we mentioned promos, how great they are, the longevity, the legacy. 
Um, a lot of people have this Stone Cold speech on like the Mount Rushmore of pro wrestling promos, and, and I can't dis- I can't disagree with that. For you, I want you to give me a, a for you and uh, a generic answer, um, like, like like a general survey. Is the Stone Cold Austin three sixteen speech at the King of the Ring ninety six on the Mount Rushmore of promos in professional wrestling? Easily. I mean, there's no, there's not even a debate. Um, I'm not sure what well, you said when, when you say pro wrestling, I think Dusty Rhodes, hard time promo, hard times promo, that'd be up there. Um, the Austin 316 promo. I can't, I mean, there's obviously more. Um, I can't think of one like Flair promo that would be on there. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe the Bret Hart promo that I mentioned earlier from early 97, maybe. Mm-hmm. That's a great, that's a great question. Um, the Vince McMahon life sucks and then you die promo is pretty great. I don't know if it'd be up there as number like, you know, one through four, but it's up there. Um, would shit, you, like one have, rock promo. I can't think of any, but yeah, they're, 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 yeah, it would be up there though. Would you have the, the whole Vince, um, Brett screw Brett promo up there? Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I might actually, it's not like a great promo, but like it really established, who Vince was as a heel really introduced him as an on-air character and made people fucking hate his guts. So maybe it's not like a promo, like in the same vein of the dusty roads and Austin promos were promos because it kind of was more real than anything. It was more effective in other ways, but yeah, I would consider that too. Yeah, sure. Oh man. I think three sixteen is up there. You mentioned dusty. I know a flare got to be up there. There's so, so many macho man promos. Oh, I mean, there you go. Cream of the co- uh, cream of the crop would probably be up there as well. Um, okay, so, I mean, so, it's got to be one of those. So, who's your Mount, you who's your Mount Rushmore promos? Like what? Like like the wrestler and the promo they cut. So we have three sixteen up there, right? For you. Were and, you talking? Are you talking promo people or just singular promos? The singular promos for yourself, your okay. personal favorite for promos. Yeah. So we got three sixteen so, up there, right? Yeah, three sixteen. I'd probably put Dusty Rhodes hard times because it's just unforgettable, mm-hmm. um, timeless. Cream of the crop from Savage. Totally forgot about that. Mm. Um, Warrior is one of my favorites. I can't think of one promo. Maybe the one of WrestleMania six. Maybe Hogan. Same thing. I can't think of like one promo that really stands out. Damn. Um, I mean, for my favorites. Obviously, I'd put the pipe bomb. I mean, that's one of my all-time favorites. I don't know if that would be on the Mount Rushmore for many, but that would be for me. Mm-hmm. Flair, uh, for people, yes, one promo I can't think of. Um, they're like, oh, that one promo really defined his character. I'm trying to think of other people. Um, the Rock, again, great promo. I'm trying to think of one promo that really like stood out to me. They're all great. That's the issue. Um, damn, it's tough. Tough. That's I know. tough. Um, yeah, I know three right off the bat would be 316 Hard Times and Pipe Bomb promo. And Don't know what the fourth one would be. For a singular one individual promo all on its own, I'm not sure. I think yours could be 316 Hard Times, Pipe Bomb, and Cream of the Crop. Okay, I forgot Cream of the Crop. Yeah, that would be my top four. I don't know why I kept forgetting mm. that, but yeah, that would be my four. That's tough. Um, I know Hogan had a few promos. I know you know Jake has had a uh, 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 an array of promos um, yep. The Rock we can go on and on but I think the bottom line is you know no pun intended <laughs> Stone Cold three, uh, 316 speech is definitely mm-hmm. top four on the Mount Rushmore of, of promos in, 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 in wrestling um, 
for those who haven't seen it, go ahead and check it out. King of the Ring 96, uh, the beginning and, and the rise of the Stone Cold Steve Austin character in the World Wrestling Federation. Uh, Graham, I do want to thank you for coming on, man. You do great work for Bleacher Report and Fan Sided Daily DDT. You're on Twitter at Russell Rant. Go ahead, check it out. This is the Wrestling Basement Podcast. Graham, my man, thank you, and I appreciate it. Of course, Randy, always a pleasure to be here on the show and looking forward to be back in the future. All right, man, take it easy. All right, you too. Adios. All right.